Well, this morning we are going to press forward in our series on standing strong in the storms of life. And I suspect when it rains, you grab an umbrella, usually. And I'm really happy for people coming into church with umbrellas because when you have them, that means it won't rain, usually, right? The whole idea is, and when you're going to go out on a cold day like today, you have wrapped up a scarf around your neck, probably maybe wore different shoes. And I have a certain pair of shoes I wear during the wintertime that are better on the ice and snow and the wet pavement. You kind of, you prepare yourself for the elements you're going to face. Or you avoid going outside altogether. And and I'm, like I said at the beginning, I'm blessed to see that you've braved the storm today. We're tough, right? We're Midwesterners. I mean, this 15 degrees is nothing. Maybe 20 below zero might slow us down, but 15 is nothing. But as God is working in our lives to form the character of Christ, We think of Jesus being caring, loving, compassionate, patient, understanding, and he's all of that. But he was also strong, determined, and focused. And no matter what opposition he faced, no matter what obstacles were put before him, no matter what people came against him, he was able to press through to God's purpose. He was able to even go to the cross which was his ultimate mission for our benefit. And the scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So in other words, he was able to look at the benefit and the ultimate outcome of what he was doing while he was going through it. And that's our focus for our class today. The first time we met, we talk about understanding the purposes, God's purposes for suffering, um, learning how to stand up under that pressure. The second, last week we talked about trials, their purpose, and I've given you handouts on that, and I hope you've been able to benefit from taking those home and looking up some of those scriptures. And God has a divine purpose. God doesn't waste one second of your life. Do you realize that? Not one negative or bad or seemingly senseless thing that's happened in your life has been wasted in God's economy. He is extremely efficient. Romans 8.28 says, God continues to work for good. No matter what happens, no matter how much we zig and zag, he continues to work for our good and works all things together for our good. He's that smart, he's that strong, he's that capable, and he's that far ahead of us. He knew all of your sins before you committed them. He did. And he knew, he foreknows everything, and he knew all of your right choices, but he knew the wrong choices you made also. And he's factored that into the plan for your life. Do you realize that? Kind of like if you're teaching your child to do something when they're young, like paint or something like that, you probably prepare ahead of time, like a large mat on the floor around them. You give them an easel and a paintbrush and a cup of paint. You put a large smock on them. You prepare ahead of time for the mistakes that you expect them to make. You may not be prepared for all of them, like painting the walls of the house or something with that, but you do go ahead. God has planned everything. He's gone ahead. The scripture says it is by his grace that we have been saved. In Ephesians chapter 2, this is not of ourselves. He has done it for us. It's by his work. And then it says to what? He's prepared good works beforehand for us to walk in. So whatever point along the journey that we're in with God, there is more good and more good works ahead of us. So today we're going to focus on restoring and recognizing that we are intended by God to have a passion for living until we stop drawing breaths in this world. And then we're going to be in the best possible place. God intends every part of our life, our childhood, adolescence, our, our early uh, career time, we're going to school, that phase of our life when we're young and strong and think we know everything. And as we mature and go through things and every phase of our life is significant. God never stops working in us. God never wants to stop working through us. And I'll just say it this way. I'm just sowing the seed. It is a great, wonderful, exciting thing to have something important to look forward to, isn't it, for us to have? I'm going to ask you a simple question. When's the last time you really, really, really look forward to something you're going to do? It may be something, a gathering of friends. It may be a holiday gathering. Maybe something like that. But that's a powerful force when we have something to look forward to. I would suggest this to you that because every day God's mercies are new, God wants us to look forward to every day of our life, whether you're 9 or 90. We lose sight of that in the overwhelming flood, it seems, of trials and difficulties and struggles and physical uh, maladies and challenges that we face. But 
His mercies are new every morning, and today is a gift that God has given to us. So how we live today, how we look at today, will help us live it in the best way possible. So we're going to look today about how can we restore our passion. And I'm just going to sow another seed here. At no stage of our life are we too old or too young to dream. And I don't mean dream at night. You know, I don't sleep long enough to have dreams that I remember too often. How many of you remember dreams when you wake up? A couple. Okay, they're kind of, I don't know, they fade away. I'm not talking about that kind of dream. I'm talking about the kind of dream that says, gee, I just, in your mind's eye and in your heart, you see something out in front of you that you're moving towards and you want to attain to or accomplish or be a part of. That could be as simple as, I don't know, where's Alice, is teaching your grandchildren how to play piano, which you've probably already done so, right? Yeah, she's already way past all that. Or being able to coach uh, their, their baseball teams or something of that nature, something you weren't able to do in your working years, as some of you have probably done the same thing. But what's out there for you right now? I want to just suggest to you that God has significant and divine purpose for every single day of your life. It's still there. So in the midst of going through all the storms, struggles, pressures that are forming in us, the, the, per, the person of Christ and the image of Christ, God wants us to have joy in that journey. So I want to talk a little bit about that today. Now, there are some thoughts along those lines I want us to consider. A couple of weeks back, I'm trying to think when that was, back at the end of December, I shared a sermon uh, on this verse right here out of Jeremiah 29:11. This is God speaking in the first hand. He says, I know the plans I have for you, speaking about the whole of the, the Israelite people who, how many of you like when you th- read the Old Testament, think that the, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, were really good people? They were like perfect, weren't they? They obeyed all the commandments, did everything God wanted. No, 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 no. They were constantly getting in trouble. They were constantly really breaking God's heart. So much so that God had to take them out of that promised land, which he told them he was going to take them into. You know the story? Way back in Genesis, and Moses in Exodus takes them out of slavery, takes them out of Egypt, and they go through the wilderness wanderings, wilderness wanderings, and they, they don't really make it, that whole generation. But then Joshua is ultimately able to lead the next generation into the promised land. They get there, they occupy the land, and not too much farther down the road in the history of that great nation, God had to take them out of that land to remind them who was God. So it's to, and they were in captivity to one of their enemies around them. Uh, first, um, first Israel, then Judah. They were two separate nations at that point in time. And ultimately God says, I still have plans for you. I've had to correct you. I've had to discipline you. I've had to kind of take things away that I really want you to have. And that's the group of people, Jeremiah, God speaking through Jeremiah too. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future. When we're undergoing, though, under construction times in the kingdom of God and God's purposes in our life, it sometimes might seem to us that God is aiming at harming us. It might seem that way. Though our theology, our beliefs say, no, God loves me. I know what he's done for me. He saved me. But when we're going through those things, we can get conflicted. Like, why did you let that happen, God, if you're so much on my side? And we But this verse here is God speaking to a nation of people that God still loved despite the zigging and zagging and actually having to take them into captivity. He still has plans for you, and he knows them. The amazing thing about God is he doesn't show us the last few pages of the playbook. He shows us just the next page of our life because he wants us to walk in faith and in trust in him. I don't know what lies ahead in, in your life, but God does. I don't know how many different things God has ordered in your life, but he does. So engage him in that conversation. Engage him in that that dialogue saying, God, where are we going from here? What are you up to? And I'll say it this way. I don't believe there's any point in our life where we just take the car and put it in neutral. You ever do that by accident? And then you hit the gas and you don't go anywhere. Okay, I did that recently. I was at a stoplight. And I was trying to shift the thing for whatever. I forget what I was doing, but I put it in, and then and I, before I knew it, people were honking behind me because the car wasn't going anywhere. There's no stage of life. I believe that we're to put it, maybe put it in a slower gear. <laughs> maybe put it in a different place, but God has a plan. So we're going to talk about that today. And, and I want us to at least sow that seed. The scriptures give us great encouragement in second, I'll go to Hebrews here first. We talked about this last week. Verse 12, especially of chapter 12 says, 
because God is doing things for our good all the time, because whatever he takes us through is meant for a good purpose for us, not what the evil things that happen, not what the devil tries to do. I'm not talking about those. We've clarified that last week, that evil is not God's will. God's purposes are to shape and form us. But verse 12 says, Therefore, because God's working for your good, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but healed. When we are caving in under the pressures of life, our emotional and spiritual posture can be just like this. Kind of slumped over like, oh, no matter what I do, nothing gets better. No matter what I try, it's always the same. I can't break out of this cycle. That's being weak-kneed and weak-armed. God says, no, I have a purpose. So stand up a little taller, strengthen your weak knees, strengthen your arms, and get ready. When you're standing up strong and you're recognizing that, you're getting ready for something better that God wants to do for you. So as we look at this forward and forward, I love this next verse in Romans. Romans 12, 2 in the New Living says this, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by, the changing, by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Can you say it out loud with me? God's will for me is good and pleasing and perfect. Guess what? His will never changes. God's will for all of us today, for tomorrow, the next day, and all the days he grants to us in this world is good, it's pleasing, and it's purpose. A lot of times people, when they're younger, what's God's will for my life? But at every stage, we really don't know what's he up to, what's he thinking. His plans and his purposes and his will, his decided will for us is it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. Now here's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Here's the great apostle who was chosen. He was an enemy of God. We know the story of St. Paul or the apostle Paul, a murderous, violent Christian hater. That's what he was. Unabashedly, the story of the New Testament reports that, that he was one of those who sought to snuff out Christianity, this heresy that he thought He was not just theologically bent. He was a violently minded person going after Christians because he thought Christianity was going to ruin Judaism. It was going to pervert everything God was trying to do. And so he sought to arrest and bring to trial and potential execution people that were Christians, people like you and I. So if you knew Paul before he was converted, if you met him before he was converted and you said to him you're a Christian, you should have been afraid of him. That's the kind of person he was. So this is the person that Paul, God takes, plucks out of that mindset, stops him in his tracks. We see that in the book of Acts, and God reveals himself to him and says, I've chosen you to be my instrument to bring the gospel to the Gentile world. Okay, so a guy who's trying to snuff out the gospel is the guy that God chooses to bring it. Isn't it amazing how God does that in our lives? And he did it with the apostle Paul. The struggles that Paul faced, though, in that transition were very difficult. And so he, above all the other first century Christians that we have record of, probably faced the most difficulties of any of them. They all ultimately were martyred. John, even the apostle, there's history doesn't make sure he was exiled. There's possibility, and some sources tell us he was ultimately martyred. All the first apostles were martyred, starting with James. Uh, that was the first one. The fact was Paul faced beatings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, starvation, all kinds of different things. And here's his response. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side. But now this is attitude, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. This is the Apostle Paul, great revelation. He wrote the bulk of the New Testament. He was used as an instrument to communicate God's purpose that we're still studying today. God's word is, came through him in a profound way, but he said, we're perplexed. There were things he didn't even understand at times, but he didn't go into despair. Persecuted. And when he says persecuted, it's not just, well, the neighbors won't talk to him anymore because, you know, because I go to church, or I said I was a Christian. No, he was facing death. People were after him all the time. But again, he was faced torment and pain. He says, I'm persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And then goes on to say, therefore, we don't lose heart. And that's the whole thing of our passion in life, isn't it? When we give up on life, we give up on ourselves, we give up on our dreams, we're really losing heart. 
you can go on thinking, go on functioning, go on in a monotone kind of a way, monotonously go through life, but when your heart's not in it, it's just not the same. We're just hanging around waiting for something better to happen, hanging around waiting for the time for you to be with the Lord. You're alive, you're functioning, but not in the way I think God intends for us. I'm going to sum it up in a sentence. It is not God's desire that the struggles and trials of this life would tear your heart out and leave you just mumbling and fumbling through life. It's God's will that when we see it the right way, those things would strengthen us and strengthen our determination and strengthen our heart that God really is working for us and he's on our side. Sometimes that takes us going back and looking at events in our life, painful ones, difficult ones, and looking at them through a different lens. All of us in a room this size could think of very painful events that we've experienced. Some of them might have been 40, 50 years ago. Some of them might have been five days ago. That through the lens we're looking at it from at that point, at our level of maturity and understanding, it just discouraged us. It ripped our heart out. And for some, you may never fully recover from that because you still go back and your mind goes back to you look at it again and you have that same sinking, sick feeling happen. What I'm encouraging us to do is the scriptures do here today in Romans is to look at things differently. Let your mind be renewed to realize that God's plans have always been good, pleasing, and perfect for you. And that hasn't changed. And though you've been per- perplexed, though you've been pushed down, though you've been, in, in, as Paul, pressed in on every side, he never lost heart. And I believe God, by his spirit and through his word, wants to just blow a flat, fresh wind of encouragement into our hearts today to carry us forward into the future God has for us. To do that, we have to be wise because the average person that is in this world and in this culture isn't thinking this way. Our culture's response and what the world is teaching people, if you don't like something, avoid it, complain about it, or blame somebody else for it. I mean, it's said, I mean, there's many other things they do, but basically don't realize there's purpose. Without an understanding of what Scripture reveals to us, Life doesn't make sense. I often think of people going through life's deepest struggles or losing a loved one or the tragedies that happen without faith, without hope, knowing that there's another life. Without those things, how do they deal with it? I don't know. We have the scriptures. We have the knowledge of God's purposes. We have these things. And it's difficult for us. How does someone without that knowledge deal with it? It's very difficult. So there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of that sarcastic sort of a a view of different things. But we're called to be different. We see something that the world around us doesn't see. We see the hand of God even in the most difficult times. So we don't lose heart. Paul goes on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, our light, and I love this. This is the apostle saying this, okay, who went through many, many struggles physically, emotionally, and, and in all ways. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Light and momentary troubles. And I just want to pause on that for a second. Maybe it may be today what you're struggling with or dealing with doesn't seem so light and doesn't seem so momentary. It might have been for years and years and years battling a chronic illness, a difficult relationship or a broken relationship with a child or a friend or a sibling. And that's like chronic pain. That's going on. It doesn't seem so light or momentary. But God is in his economy is transforming all of that because he's through it. He's transforming us and bringing an eternal weight of glory. And I want to help you understand where that is. that's in you. Heaven's already full of glory. There's already streets of gold there. God's not remodeling heaven. You ever notice that? Don't find that in the scripture. He's not remodeling anything up there. It's all wonderful. He's remaking us. So the eternal weight of glory Paul is talking about is in us. He's transforming us, and he has the ability to do that. So he goes on to say, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, what appears to us, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, how many of you have had any dental work done? Anybody else had dental work done? Just one or two. Come on, be honest. You've had some time. And you go to the dentist, and any dentist in here? I'm not going to offend anybody. This isn't... But, and then they say, well, we're going to put a temporary crown in or temporary something. 
And usually when I've had temporary things in there, I'm really glad they're temporary because I know it's only a couple weeks so I get something better because I can actually eat on that side or I can chew on that side or do something. Temporary means, okay, this is going to eventually be better. I'm going to get past this and something better is coming. That's how Paul wants us to look at the sufferings is they're temporary. No matter how long we might seem them to be, but what everything in this world is ultimately temporary in light of eternity. What is unseen, what God is doing is the eternal. And I, I just love this, how the message translation translates Romans chapter 12, verses 11 through 13. I love it. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. But then he says this, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times, but instead pray all the harder. Here's that encouragement is to when you feel your tank is really running low, don't let it run out. And I'll share this one story. Carol loves when I tell stories about us. Not, she doesn't like that, but this is, this is all on me. One of the first, actually the first time I actually had her in my car for something, maybe the second time, uh, we're going to awake for a parent of a friend of hers. And this was my really cool Mazda RX-7. Those were cool back in the 80s, you know, those little sport, sporty-looking car. And we're driving up on Route 53 from this area. We both lived in Downers Grove at the time, up to Arlington Heights, I think. And we got about halfway there. And this funny thing happened to my beautiful new car. It wouldn't go anymore. I have no idea except that little gauge went a little down to E, and I ran out of gas. She's like, oh, this guy's a real loser. We weren't really dating yet. This, you know, we're just kind of friends. Like, oh, this guy's a real. And I honestly, that, that gauge was above E. You know, my idea is I only stop at the gas. I'm very efficient. I get it down as low as I can and fill it up from there. Well, let's just say it this way. Now that I've known, we've known each other about almost 30 years. And we when the gas tank gets to about three quarters full, it's time to fill it again. Okay, that's, that's her idea. of going, I'm not kidding. I'm, can I get gas? I'm looking at her tank. I'm like, you might feel like your gas tank's running low or you're on fumes or maybe it's empty. The scripture encourages us and you're doing that by being part of a group like this, coming to the fellowship and being around Christ followers who understand what's going on, who can give you perspective and come alongside of you is to refill your tank. You're not done yet. There's more that God has. There's a lot more God has and what he wants to do with us. We don't yet fully understand, but let's be fueled and ready to go and don't quit in the hard times. That along with the love we have for each other, marks us as Christ followers, marks us as ones who can endure suffering, endure what seems to be difficult circumstances by everybody's account around us and says, we're not giving up. There are many things that attract people to Christ, but seeing us live out a different kind of faith is the number one thing. God intends to use us as his witnesses, right? that there's something better, there's something different. We live in a culture, and I'm not going to go too far down this path today on this topic, but who is bewildered. A culture and a society that's rejected the Bible, gotten it out of schools, gotten it away. We don't want all that stuff, and yet they have no handles anymore. There's nothing to hold on to when struggles come. And they need to be able to see in us, though we're going through the same kinds of struggles, circumstances, and and different things that that, that there's something different going on inside of us. We do know who's holding on to us. That's the ultimate handle. So we don't want to quit in, in hard times. But as we learn to fuel our passion, there's an important dynamic here, and it's, it's about how we have relationship with people around us. Some relationships we choose, right? Most of you chose the person you married if you were married or still are married, right? Any, any shotgun weddings or any things like that going? No, probably not. Probably not. You probably said yes willingly, right? Okay. Um, Other relationships are work relationships or um, colleagues in different places you may not choose exactly. The fact is, not everybody you are dealing with in your life is a positive-minded, faith-filled person. And there's some people who will fuel us and fill us and energize us. And there's others, and now none of you have met anybody like this, that will drain you completely. Ever been around a person that just drains? It's, It's like, is it Eeyore in the Winnie the Pooh? who's just always seeing things from the negative standpoint, and that becomes a drain. Well, we have to find a healthy balance there, but 
Um, I love the book, uh, Gordon MacDonald, Renewing Your Spiritual Passion. He gives five kinds of people that affect our spiritual passion in that book. Good book to read. There are very resourceful people that get, are full of energy and full of things, and they ignite our passion. You want to make sure you're around somebody like that on a somewhat consistent basis. There's important people close to us that are going to share our passion. Instead of when you have a dream to do something, no matter what it is, they say, are you nuts? You can't do that. No, that's not what these kind of people are. These are the people that share and go, wow, that's cool. I, let, can I come alongside and help you? Someone that wants to share your passion, that are not so afraid. And then there's very trainable people that will come along with us and help us achieve the passion. They're trainable people. Not too many of those left in the world. There's mostly know-it-alls, but there's some that are still trainable. And there's very nice people, too. It'll just sit back and go, oh, that's nice. That's nice. In the back of their mind, they're thinking they're out of their minds, but they're, they're looking at you and going, that's nice that you want to. And a dear friend of mine, I think of this, um, named Dorothy years ago, at 82 years old, went parasailing. Now, can anybody top that one, parasailing at an age older than that? Okay. And I know of another person in their 80s that did skydiving. Okay. I'm hoping to do skydiving once my grandchildren have graduated college, I mean, I figured at that point, you know, I might try it. And probably most of the people in her family, including her daughters, who I think thought she was nuts for doing that sort of thing at that age. The fact is, nice people won't tell us what they're really thinking, but they'll just, oh, that's nice. They'll enjoy us having, but they're not going to have any of it for themselves. And then there's the very draining people that sap our passion. Think about your life right now. Where's the balance for you? and those kinds of relationships. I pray and hope that you certainly got some igniters that are able to say, hey, wait, there's still hope for you. I hope you're, you're able to do that. And I, but I hope there's also a healthy balance of those that can share that with you to encourage you when you're getting discouraged. When you have a dream at this stage of life, which most of us, and I'm looking in this room, obviously we're in a demographic and a, a stage of life where not a lot of new things are starting for some, some of the greatest inventions that have ever happened in this world, some of the greatest businesses, some of the greatest ministries have started by have been started by people over the age of 65. Do you know that? And I'll just pick Colonel Sanders because I like Kentucky Fried Chicken. How old was he when he started? He was a school teacher, okay? And he had a recipe for chicken that everybody liked, and he was in his 60s, received hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rejections from restaurants and organizations that tried his stuff and didn't want it. So he determined at age 65, a retired person, well, I'll just do it myself. And he became, at one point at the peak, he was, I think, the second only to the U.S. Army in producing, producing food in the world. I mean, it was a staggering, back in the 60s, a staggering empire that he built. I'm not suggesting we need more, ch of course, there's Chick-fil-A out there now, so I'm not suggesting it, but don't give up. You need to have somebody that when you have an idea like that, that you've never lived out, that God has sown in your heart even to begin a ministry, one more passionate person, Imogene Dixon, is a name that's probably not known to any of you, but when she was 65 years old, her husband and her, she was a teacher down in Florida. He was also involved, I think, a teacher as well. She went on a mission trip, just a visit to Haiti. This is back in the 70s. And saw the poverty and saw these orphan children every place. And so she decided in her retirement that she was going to go down to Haiti to do something. Okay, how many of you vacation in Haiti? How many of you have ever been to Haiti? You've been there, you probably don't have a real draw to go back other than for mission work. It is a destitute, horribly uh, backwards place. And yet God put a dream in her heart at 65 years old, and she partnered up with a Haitian national, and they started an orphanage, Orphans Incorporated, uh, with two orphans in it. Okay. By the time she reached 70, they had a church, a feeding center, and a school, one of them built. And they were helping hundreds of children. By the time she, and she never fully retired, well into her 80s, Good Shepherd Ministries, which my wife and I were directly involved with with Imogene and others there, were feeding and clothing and schooling 2,000 children every day. Okay, had built, built five churches, five nutrition centers, five schools in throughout the country of Haiti and were making a difference. One woman, who God spoke to her heart and she wanted to do something about it, has changed the lives of thousands of children. And that, that work continues down there. It's never too late. So you need to have, if you have a dream and a passion, you need some people around you that can sh encourage you and not discourage you. Some that will 
come alongside of you and help you achieve that, and then to recognize those who are the naysayers. And maybe for some, there's always been a naysayer around you. Always somebody that's taken such a negative view the other side of things that it's actually caused you to table or put off a lot of things you hope to do in your life. And friends, I just want to encourage you today to recognize, not despise, recognize those influences and follow the drumbeat of the love of Christ. The potential in this room of 100 or 150, whatever people are here this morning, is still tremendous to change this world. And God would use with great effect the lives of those who have matured, gained wisdom, maybe don't have the physical strength you once had, but you have tremendous potential yet in your life. And that's what I want us to share in a little bit. I'll take a few moments now, maybe five minutes around the tables here, and then we'll share in the larger group. Talk about some things you'd still like to do. Does anybody want to share something that you'd want us to be your partners, be one of those who can share your passion with you? Anybody want to share something like that with the whole group? You don't have to, but anybody bold enough want to do that? You're all going on a trip to India, all of you. Wow, now that's a brave, wow, awesome. And, and she wants to ride a tiger. Okay, I didn't know that was even possible, so that's just, I've got to never consider that. Anybody else want to share something? Grace? Okay, like to go to Israel yet to see where Jesus walked. That's a wonderful thing. That came up at our table as well. Several of us never have done that. Well, I want to encourage you. We don't have to share it in this context, but I hope that stirred in you the ability for you to think that way and to share it with someone else. Because when we have something inside of us, once we share it with somebody else, we become sort of accountable, sort of someone to come alongside and maybe help us do that. I want to challenge and encourage all of us is to let what God is brewing in our hearts to come forth and share it. And then begin to pray it through. God, is that something you're calling me to do? Is that something you want me to do in line with the plans he has for us? When it is in line with his plans for us, things start falling in place. And I believe there is great need and great opportunity for us to fill those needs in the purposes of God's kingdom. However, one other thing I want to cover today as we move forward here, not only is it those around us, that affect our passion and our experience of life and our ability to weather the difficult storms. More often than not, it's what's going on inside of us. What are we saying to ourselves about ourselves? How are we, that constant inner talk that's going on inside, that every once in a while comes out and you say, did I say that out loud? That kind of thing. Our minds are, are constantly going, constantly racing. And in a great book called the Feeling Good Handbook by Dr. David Burns some times back, he, sometime back, he identified 10 forms of twisted thinking. In other words, what seems right but isn't quite right and won't be ultimately productive for helping us to get on with life. One of those is all or nothing thinking. We see things in black or white categories, and even if a situation just falls a little short of perfect, we see it as a total failure. So, for instance, if a woman eats one scoop of one taste of ice cream, suddenly thinks, well, I've blown my diet completely, and that upsets her so much she goes and eats a whole half gallon of ice cream. That's all or nothing thinking. None of you have ever done that, of course, figuratively or literally. But what I've done with each of these ten forms of twisted thinking is to apply a scripture to it, and I handed, that's on the handout for you, that instead of thinking that way, we think the way the scripture teaches us to think, letting our minds be renewed. And Philippians 4.19 says this, the Apostle Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit. We replace that kind of thinking with, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When we fail, we get back up again. When we make a mistake, we correct it and we go forward. With God's help within us, we can do all things through Christ who gives you, and here's the word, strength. When you feel your weakest, when you feel the least able, the least capable That's the moment when we need to trust and lean into the grace of God and say, God, you're in my life. And he goes, yes. And you are there to empower me to live out the life you've given me. Yes. And so when we're then weak in that way, we really become strong. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that he's birthed within us and who dwells within us that gives us the strength to correct that all or nothing thinking where we start to say of ourselves. And I want to 
take, I gave you those verses on the handout is to let you incorporate those. If you've never memorized or incorporated those into your thinking, is that you begin to do that. Watch what happens when you begin to see through the lens that God sees. And his word gives us that, that, lens, that lens. A second form of twisted thinking is to discount the positive, that we reject positive experiences insisting that they don't count. So in other words, if you get a good job, you tell yourself that it wasn't good enough or that anyone could have done it, you'd do something good. Discounting the positive takes the joy out of life. It's a, a psychological mechanism that when someone compliments you, and I could have us do that around the table and have people extend compliments, genuine, honest compliments, what do you do with them? You deflect them? You think, well, if they only knew me, what I was really like, or if your spouse thinks that way, if you only know what he was really like, you know, or she was really like, you wouldn't say that. The fact is, all of us have this mechanism, I think, to one degree or another, where we discount the positive, especially evangelical Christians. It's a strange phenomenon because we've accepted the fact that we're sinners so that we can be saved, right? We've accepted that's how we became to Christ in the first place. We believed and understood conviction of our sin came over us, and we recognized there's something wrong with me, and I need God's help. I need a Savior. And that's the best possible place for a human being to start is with a recognition of their fallenness, a recognition of their sinfulness. But we're not meant in God's economy is to continually live with self-deprecation. That isn't Christian. That's Christian habit because you might have been under a teacher or a preacher that was very condemning and always putting people down and, and you know, you had to get saved a hundred times over because you weren't sure because you felt so bad about yourself. God wants us to have right judgment about ourselves and that begins with saying about yourself, I am a child of God. And as someone has said it, and God don't make no junk. You're not who you were before you came to Christ. If any person is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. The old things have passed away. The new and the new is come, and all of this is from God. To think well of God's work in yourself is not self-glorifying. It glorifies God. So we need to learn how to allow the person that God has made us to be to simply come to the surface. And when someone compliments you, we simply say, praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. We give the glory to him. We don't begin to think it's us. We are so ingrained with negative thinking about ourselves that we're holding ourselves back, I believe. And we discount the positive. We need to reverse that where it says every little thing we do. Jesus said this, even if you give a cup of cold water to a child in my name, you will not lose your reward. Jesus is trying to say, even the littlest things we do, even though you may not be able to do great and mighty things to be you know, seen by men, even the smallest things you do in secret, God recognizes. Across a room like this, there's been countless tens of thousands of kind deeds done, countless tens of thousands of acts in Jesus' name that have been done in quiet and in secret. And all of that simply, when we see ourselves being transformed, is to say, thank you, God, for giving me that kind of a heart. Because we know we didn't used to have it. We want to, don't want to discount the positives. We want to allow that to glorify God. Thirdly is emotional reasoning, as opposed to intellectual reasoning, which is usually more linear. Emotional reasoning is another form of twisted thinking where we assume that our negative emotions necessarily re reflect the way things really are. Here's a couple of examples. I feel terrible about going on airplanes. Therefore, it must be dangerous to fly. Anybody that like flying? I, I think there's a few around this room that probably do. We know statistically it's by far, far and away the safest form of travel on a statistic basic basis. A number of deaths per miles traveled, it's far above trains, cars, every other means. But if you think that it's dangerous and you feel that, you will experience that. And there's many who will never get on a plane because of that. I feel guilty, therefore I'm a rotten person. Emotional reasoning. Now, there are some rotten people in the world. There are. There's some people who never come to Christ, never allow the transforming work, the forgiveness, the grace to transform them. And by rotten, I don't mean that to be derogatory. It's just a fact of life. Outside of Christ, we don't have any power over sin. We don't have any power to change anything. We can't be a better person. We can polish the outside, but inside nothing's changed. But we're in Christ. So when you do something wrong, don't jump down all the way down and say you're a rotten person. Remember, I quoted you before, you're a child of God. And God is at work within you. 
And he's forming in you. He's turning and making out of you, out of ashes, he is forming something beautiful. And I want that to kind of sit and sink into your thinking just a little bit here this morning. Your, your life, who you are, is in the hands of the creator. And he is forming and shaping something beautiful out of you. You may not be able to say that out loud, but I want you to be able to learn to say that in agreement with the scripture, that God is making someone beautiful out of you. I know, guys, it's hard to say that. We don't like to be called beautiful and everything. Women will relate a little bit more to that. But it's true. Either he's changing us, either the power of the gospel is really real, or it's not. God is making someone beautiful out of every one of us in Christ. And you can rest in that, be content with that. And thus, the scripture says that we live by faith, not by sight. What I, that's one application of that verse. You still see some of that old junk coming out of you. You still see some of those other things, and therefore you can th- throw it all away and say, well, you know, I'm not really ever going to change. Well, no, God is making someone beautiful out of you. So beautiful, so perfect, ultimately when he's done with you, is that you're going to fit in wonderfully in God's heaven. You're going to fit in. It's not just a beautiful place. It's going to be filled with beautiful people. That's God's work in our life. So we live by what we know from Scripture, not by what we see or what we feel. Your emotions can deceive you. You ever go to a movie that makes you cry? And, and I, sometimes it's, you know, that's the intention of the movie. We go, sometimes they make us laugh. The fact is everything on the screen is totally phony. Okay. It's just with stimulation to our brain that simulated our emotions and our emotions went along with it. Now, I'm not, I, I like a lot of movies. I'm not criticizing at all. But the fact is your emotion may be misguided, may not be accurate to what, what's really going on. So if we take an honest look at that, we can correct that. A fourth thing that sometimes happens is we jump to conclusions. We immediately go to the worst, most negative outcome, even though there's no facts to support our conclusion. For instance, one way of that being expressed is mind reading. Check, without checking it out, you arbitrarily conclude that someone is reacting negatively to you. Have you been around someone like that? That's, I think they don't like me. Why didn't they smile? Why didn't they say hello to me? And this, this jumping to the wrong conclusion. Maybe they had something else on their mind. You know, maybe there's something, maybe they weren't feeling well today, but it's always taking it backwards and, and jumping to the wrong possible conclusion. Fortune telling is another example of that is you predict that things will turn out badly. Before a test, you tell yourself if you're doing that, I'm really going to blow it. What if I flunk? And you're de- if you're depressed, you tell yourself, I'll never get better. This is where Romans 8.28 comes in, and it can replace that jumping to conclusions. This is learning to jump to the most positive conclusion. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So I'm going to challenge us a little bit today. If, if jumping to negative conclusions is something you're good at, okay, I want to encourage you to use that same faculty of mind and intentionally jump to the most positive conclusion. And whatever things that are retur- going on in your mind, that's a little homework. I can do that around the table so there's no time to do that. Is to, if that's your pattern, if that's one of those things you're hung up in, is to be ridiculous for a minute and jump to the most positive possible conclusion and see how that feels. Your mind and your training, your thinking will say, that's not even reasonable, but neither is jumping to the most negative all the time. It's unreasonable. If we begin to at least move the indicator from all the way negative into the middle someplace, you're going to start feeling different. You're going to start experiencing life differently. Your passion's going to rise because what you see is what you're going to aim for. If you see a negative outcome, you're either not going to do it or you're going to run away from it. If you see a positive one, you'll move towards it and begin to allow God to work through that. A fifth form of twisted thinking I want to talk about here this morning is magnification. That you magnify, and how many of you use a magnifying glass to read or have magnifying glasses that are... And I think I'm up to what's built into the glasses I can actually see to is two and a quarter power. What are yours now, dear, that sit on your head? She's only a 1.25, okay? So to be able to see things that are, you know, small, sometimes you need to magnify things. If you really want to magnify something, you get a microscope or an electron microscope and you look down inside of that. Mentally, we do this is that we magnify things way out of proportion sometimes. And we exaggerate the importance of our weaknesses or our shortcomings. Let's just accept the fact we're all have a sinful, we all have a sinful nature still. 
Congratulations, you're human. You also now have a new nature that's divine. No, I'm not talking Mormon theology. I'm not talking any of the warped, perverted, strange ways which people say that. That which is born of you now in Christ is from the divine one. And you are being transformed daily into the image of Christ. A divine one is working on you and in you at every moment, even at this moment. Which force is stronger? Who's stronger, you or God? Who wins in an arm wrestling match between you and God? Probably God. I love the one, was it the Far Side um, cartoons? If any of you read the Far Side cartoons, um, it was God on Jeopardy. You know, God's sitting there, and there's the other two contests. God's got a gazillion points, and the other two build up zero. It's like, this isn't fair. God's working inside of you. Just kind of just let that sink in a little bit. He's stronger than your sinful nature. Do you know that? He's stronger. Magnify him, not magnify your weaknesses. Because no matter how big of a magnifier we use on him, we can't get it big enough. We can't possibly get it big enough. Greater is he who's in you than he that's in this world. The powers of darkness, negative things, he is greater, and he's going to get the job done. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, Philippians tells us. You know that? And I, I love to just let us sink into so many of these principles. There's a really good work going on inside of you. God is the craftsman at work, and he says, I will get it done. Any of you ever had a contractor that promised to get something done at a certain time? And, of course, they always did, right? Every time, just right on schedule, right on budget. It always happens, right? Well, some of you are laughing. You get the point. God is the contractor who's got the blueprint, who's working on a, a beautification process, a transformation process in you, and it will be done to perfection, and it will be right on time, and he's not going to leave anything out. He's working in you. So magnify him. Magnify what he's doing. And that's what Peter tells us. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you or he's already caring about those things friends I, I so much more i gave you five more of these and i want to move to just one more today i encourage you to that's why i put them on a handout take this home meditate particularly on the scriptures that i suggested for re-altering or, or for altering and realigning our thinking to line up with god's word um the last one i'm gonna touch on today and then i want to wrap up is having a mental filter some of you have water filters in your house right we have a nice reverse osmosis filter downstairs. It's bought at a Costco years ago, and it does great. makes the water taste really good. Now, if, if I were to put that faucet on, I mean, that filter on backwards so that instead of taking out impurities, it added impurities to the water, what would you say? You'd say, I'm nuts, right? I'm not doing it right. A filter is meant to filter out impurities and to allow the pure to come through. When we have a mental filter that's not the right way, we pick out a single negative detail and dwell on it exclusively so that our vision of all reality becomes darkened, like the drop of ink that discolors a beaker of water. You might receive a lot of, an example, positive comments about a job you've done, about your life, about something that you're, you care about. And if one person, just think about this, says one negative thing, what do you think about? You go home thinking about that one negative thing, right? That's the mental filter being put on backwards. Why? Because we're sinful people. Because we're already thinking that way about ourselves. So that thought triggers that. We need to start thinking of ourselves differently in Christ. And start, when people say positive things, think, God, thank you. Thank, thanks for changing that about me. Thanks for making me a different kind of person. Thanks for the work that you're doing. And allow that filter to be turned around the other way. And that's why Philippians 4.8, I'm going to close with this one, says, Finally, brothers, this is what Paul says, a new way of thinking. And I want us to apply this to what's going on in our lives, what's going on in our church, what's going on around us, but also to what's going on inside of us. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4.8. Now I want to apply that. And in this context today, what's true about you because of God's work in you? What's become noble about you because of God working in you? 
What is right about you, not what's wrong? What's pure now that once wasn't? What's lovely? What's admirable? What's excellent? And what's praiseworthy in God's economy? To allow that to begin not in a selfish sort of self-interested way to glorify yourself. When we recognize and admit to and think about God's work in us, we are praising him and bringing glory to him. And we will accomplish far greater things for the kingdom of God with this mindset. Think about what's pure, lovely, and excellent in your spouse. Think about what's pure, lovely, and excellent in your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, if that's possible. That was sort of supposed to be humor. Um, It's a different way of thinking. It's one we have to learn, but we can learn it. And if we just take that one verse and allow that to guide our prayer right now, I want you to let the Holy Spirit kind of guide you into a new way of thinking as we wrap up today. Father, we just thank you that you're, you see us from such a radically different view than we see ourselves. You see us with pure love, with perfect love, with a love that never changes, with an acceptance and a welcome into your family that can never change or be taken from us. God, help us today to have our passion in life restored and renewed. Help us grow in the way we think about you, how we think about our prospects in you because you're in us, and help us to think about ourselves rightly according to your word. Father, I pray that you will move us through your word and by your spirit today to get back up again, get back in the fray. If we're just sitting back and life is passing us by, if we're watching like as a play on a on a stage in front of us, everybody else living out their lives and we're in the audience watching it, God, help us to get back up. Help us to get back engaged. Help us to step in and to live out the days that you give us, each and every one, with the full vigor that you want us to have. I do pray that your Holy Spirit will powerfully move in our hearts today to lift us. And draw us together for the highest of purposes to bring glory and honor to your name. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a blessed week.